you're going to go outside today and you're going to talk to 10 random strangers. And when I tried to do that, I went outside, I tried to talk to 10 random strangers, failed horribly. My nervous system, my brain literally could not talk. Like I'd be like, all right, next one. Let me try with the next guy. Try it again. Next, just didn't work. And so I was like, all right, I really need to rethink my approach. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hey everybody, before we start the episode, I have an important announcement to make. We are going to start a new feature on the show, an AMA at the end, where you'll get a chance to interact with me and I get to answer any question you have. AMA stands for Ask Me Anything. And so if you have any questions around your workplace, things that you want around productivity, managing your team, scaling the organization, or about me or Mindvalley, go ahead and email me the question on jason at mindvalley.com. I look forward to hearing all of your questions and we'll get a chance to interact at the end of future podcast episodes. Now let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Campbell, and welcome to another episode of Superhumans at Work. Now, the guest that I'm bringing to you today is actually an inspiration for me because he is someone that runs an amazing podcast himself. It is called Humans 2.0. And I want to share a bit of the story of how I first got connected to this man, because what you're going to realize is you're going to learn some amazing insights about why shyness might not be something that you have to be plagued with for the rest of your life. It's actually something that you can overcome. And I really want to inspire you with the story of this man. So going back about a year ago, I got this email from this gentleman, Mark Metry. I believe he had sent an email to a general Mindvalley inbox saying he wanted to interview Vishen Lakhiani. I was the gatekeeper. I was a person that was looking for everybody that was being interviewed by Vishen. And I have this email coming up from this Mark Metry, but I have to tell you, this email was speaking to all the things that I look for when I'm trying to gauge if this person's worth my time or not. I'm really reading and I'm like, I'm thinking, okay, is this person worth my time? Have other people been on his show? How many listeners does he got? How interested is he about Vision? He's sharing a personal anecdote about his transformation with Vision's work. I'm like, I think this guy deserves a chance. And so typically, I usually reject about 95% of the inbound requests, yet there was something that stood out about the care and attention that was put into the outreach email that came from this gentleman, Mark Metry. Well, lo and behold, he did interview Vision, and I kept in touch with him. I started looking at his podcast. I started following him on social media, and I'm like, wow, this man is really not taking no for an answer, is showing incredible growth in himself, dedication to personal growth, and now he's just about to release a book called Screw Being Shy. And this is really what we're going to talk about today, about this whole concept of shyness. Where does it come from? What purpose does it serve? And if you should even have it in your life. And if you're someone that's subscribed to Amazon Prime, you'd know on Prime TV's docuseries, The Social Movement, he is involved in that docuseries, doing a ton of other amazing things, such as his own marketing agency called Voodream. We have the one and only Mark Metry on the show. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Jason, what's up, man? Thank God I sent that email. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, first off, I need to ask you, as a podcast man yourself, is my introduction okay? Dude, I literally thought I was in like a movie or something. That was so awesome. <laughs> that was like like top five podcast yes. intros I've ever gotten in my life. 
Good job. I will take your top five because I know you've been on hundreds of podcasts. You've interviewed over, what, 200, 300 people now? Yeah, about there, 200, 300. Okay, so Mark, you sound like the last person to be shy right now, given everything you've accomplished. And so walk us through a bit of this journey. Like, where does being shy come into play? Are you a shy person? And how come you've been doing all these amazing things being so shy? Yeah, man, it's super, super crazy. It's, you know, I talk about it in the way of like, you know, every single day, this is my full-time job. This is what I do when I'm 22 years old. This is all I do. All I do is talk about spreading awareness for things that I never heard growing up, like mental health, that, you know, social anxiety, anxiety is even a thing. I spend every single day doing that on my podcast, speaking at different events, through my book, through all the things that I do. Yet, if you asked me that when I was 18, which is not that long ago, like four years ago, five years ago, I spent every single day trying to avoid that very thing. I spent every single day trying to not talk about it. And, you know, for me, growing up, I had definitely a very interesting childhood, but I was you know, really dropped into an environment in terms of my physical health, the people around me, ended up sort of putting me in this really kind of socially anxious state that I never really got out of. What I'm talking about is I've always been an introvert. I don't think there's anything wrong with being an introvert. But, you know, a lot of people confuse being shy with being introverted. Being shy is being nervous or like your voice trembles or your cheeks flash hot or your mind starts to overthink the second you have to talk to somebody. And you know, everyone experiences different sort of spectrum experience of being shy. You know, some people, they might get a little bit shy for like the first five minutes at like an event they go to if they don't know anybody there. And I think that's totally normal. But others, like if you go back to who I was, your brain is just working against you. Every time that you are in a potential social situation and you're like, hey, I should say something really interesting because I want to, your brain talks you out of it. And a lot of people experience this. And if you don't know you have social anxiety, you just think that there's something wrong with you. There is some sort of moral failure that you are living like you're just some really weird person and until you kind of step back and then you look at the science of it and you're like oh wow this actually has a lot to do with biochemistry and so when I was like 18 I kind of discovered this it's not something I kind of learned overnight it actually took me like I used to weigh over 200 pounds there was a time where I was super depressed in my life I was even suicidal at one point my social anxiety went to like social isolation and I just stopped talking to people. And it was essentially through that eventually transformation through that rock bottom that I was able to kind of get a clear mind and be like, wait, this social anxiety is a thing and it's placing a ton of boundaries on my life without me even knowing it. And I remember the first time where I kind of discovered this was <laughs> when I was at my first college party and I got drunk for the first time ever in my life. And I was like, wait, you know, I could just walk up to that girl or that guy and just talk to them normally without my brain holding me back. That's never happened to me in my entire life. And so once it was that moment, this realization of like, wow, I just put something in my body, this chemical that changed the other chemicals in my brain that enabled me to experience life in a different way. 
And it's like that moment gave me the awareness that I had social anxiety in the first place because there's this great quote and it says, you can't see the image when you're in the frame. You know, a lot of us, when we're inside of it, when that's all we've experienced for 18 years, we don't see anything but that. We're locked into this bubble that we equate with our existence. And it's only until you have an experience that really is drastic where you're able to kind of lift up and be like, oh, wow, that was just sort of like one fidelity. That was one stream that I created unconsciously by the various default survival psychological elements previously in my life. And so I was like, man, nobody's talking about social anxiety, being shy in this way. There's a ton of people, whether it's young kids at school or whether it's adults at work, some job that are super, super introverted, super shy. And then they maybe use some kind of like a mask to escape that, whether that's like a substance or trying to be some kind of person who they are not. And so I was like, man, I've got to write this book. It's my first book. It's probably not going to be the best, but I'm going to try to put my all into it and see if people like it or not. So that's the book, Screw Being Shy. <laughs> Love it. Thank you, Mark, for sharing the background story. And you did touch on something I find quite interesting. And it's so true that there's people that are in the workplace that might find themselves that they always, you know, in any confrontational situation where they need to speak up, maybe it's about giving a presentation and doesn't even need to be in front of a whole audience. It could be just in a boardroom. And it seemed that this element of shyness can come in. And really, it seems like it paralyzes you. You're not even thinking straight. You're in this flight mode. It's almost like, oh my God, I need to hide. And you talked about in your case, you had the flushing of the cheeks and everything. And I'd have to admit, like I had that happen to me in public speaking before. And obviously that's maybe one of the more common places that this comes up. And so in your case, you talked about how you kind of discovered it through the consumption of alcohol. I'm assuming that's not the prescription because that's obviously something that just gave you a kind of an awareness, but I feel like some people might use that as a crutch. So can you walk us through a bit more? Like what's the process of this discovery? It seems like a slow burn. It seems like it holds you back, but you're not really sure it does. So give us some more here. For sure. For sure. And I talk about this in the book. I mean, definitely I'm not advising alcohol by any means whatsoever. And I mean, honestly, man, it's kind of sad because I get emails and people that send me messages that listen to my podcast and that know me. And they tell me like, you know, I can't go to work without drinking alcohol because like my entire body shakes and shivers because it's become like a dependent. And so, you know, I'm grateful personally for me. I've never kind of had like a substance abuse problem with anything, but I know a lot of people have. But what I would say is this. So when I kind of had that experience with alcohol, becoming aware of it the next day, I remember when I first realized it, I remember at first, it actually created a lot of sort of conflict, it created a lot of resistance in me. And the reason why is because I'm going through this life like all of us. And I think we, a lot of the times, sort of see potential paths in front of us, right? We see two maybe paths of different life decisions we could do. So when I had that awareness of like, wow, I have social anxiety or I'm overly shy and I don't want to be like this because I have a lot to say and I know I have to actually express my potential in the world with others and to myself. When I first realized that, I was like, wait, if I go on that path of being who I know I could be, that is a ton of responsibility. That is a ton of sort of 
doing my due diligence, following through with my various tasks, like doing the, the hard things that I know I should be doing. And then there was the other path that I kind of saw of like, you know, you could just keep doing that same thing, social anxiety, whatever, like I'm sure it'll figure itself out. And I knew that was definitely not the situation because I think sometimes we can grow out of problems, but I knew that just because of the extremity of my personal situation, there was no way I was going to grow out of this. And I knew that if I didn't begin to work incrementally at this now, in 10 years from now, I was 18. It's like when I'm 29 or 30, I'm going to be some dude that isn't even living his own life, doesn't even have any legitimate friends, doesn't have a soulmate, a partner, probably is working some job that I know I could do just to get money, but it doesn't really light me up at all because I can't really express what I want to express to other people. And so I kind of saw these two paths in front of me. And when I saw those two paths, it wasn't exactly like, hey, I'm going to go on the path that I'm on right now, because before you get into it, it's super, super frightening. It's super, super confusing even, because at that time in my life, I didn't have anybody who was doing these things next to me. I didn't have any entrepreneur friends or, you know, people that were trying to transform themselves or improve their mental health. And so... At first, when that kind of happened, I was really, really conflicted. You know, I think this is cognitive dissonance when your brain is at two conflicting ideas at once. And in turn, you have a lot of negative emotions. And so there was a point where I remember where I was just trying to escape that kind of voice in my head that was telling me to go on these two paths. And I remember I tried to escape that voice with food. Like I mentioned, there's like the saying of the freshman 15 here in America, you gained 15 pounds your first year. Yeah, I gained the freshman 65. And I, <laughs> I was over 200 pounds. And I was literally just trying to fill the void in my soul with Sour Patch Kids and Oreos and pizzas and chicken wings. And then I also experimented with a ton of different kinds of alcohol, drugs. But for me, like the real ticking point where this kind of forced me to change was growing up, I always had trouble falling asleep always. If you've heard of David Goggins, he talks about how he wet the bed all the time when he was a kid because his brain was putting him in a fight or flight response because he was so terrified. When he said that, that completely changed my life because that happened to me almost every single day growing up until I was like 18. It was either that or I just wouldn't fall asleep at all. And so I remember what I would begin to do was I would begin to go for walks in the middle of the night. And I live in Boston, in the East Coast in America, great city. But, you know, I remember we were neighbored in a not so great city, a lot of high crime, a lot of uh, violence, things like that. It got to a point where I was just in so much pain where, you know, I was like, I need to take my own life. I need to end this. And so I would walk around in those really terrible parts of the neighborhood at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. and I would just fantasize about somebody just walking up to me and just killing me. And it was eventually on one of those nights where, one, I began to listen to podcasts. I listened to this podcast by Tim Ferriss, and he talked about a time where he was also suicidal in college. And then now, if you know Tim Ferriss, who's doing like awesome stuff, he's doing a lot of, you know, world-changing things in the world. So I'm listening to this podcast of this guy who was in the same exact situation that I'm in right now, and he's now doing all these things. So that began to open my mind up too. And then I also remember on one of those nights, 
I felt the stillness of the night. It was a night where there were no distractions. I wasn't on my phone. I wasn't listening to anything. There were no cars in the street. There was nobody walking, just like this really eerie silence. And when I experienced that, it was almost as if I kind of heard my intuition murmur up in the background. And it's not like I heard a particular sentence or like I heard like a phrase to go do something, but I just kind of felt like this really warm feeling. It's kind of like that feeling that you get like when your mom gives you a hug. It's like this very warm, intuitive feeling. And when I felt that, I was like, wow, I've never felt this before in my entire life. And I don't know if this was desperation or sleep deprivation or what it was. But when I felt that, I was like, wow, maybe I don't know everything about life. Maybe I have a lot to learn. Maybe what I'm doing is not the exact best solution. And my personal opinion, Jason, is that you know, when I was suicidal, when I was trying to end my life, what I was trying to do was I was trying to figure out how to almost kill the old version of me. And I believe kind of on that night, some version of me died. And it was the version that I was sort of trying to keep up with of my past, of this person that had acted in so many socially anxious ways in so many different moments that I was almost trying to keep up with like a video game character. And I couldn't sort of get out of line or else my ego's identity would be harmed or fractured. And so on that night, when that happened, I kind of had like this really emotional experience. I can remember looking at myself in the mirror and realizing that I was super overweight and realizing the position I was in. And I realized that what I experienced was an interruption in sort of my consciousness. It's estimated that the average human has 30 to 60,000 thoughts a day. Some of them are conscious. Some of them, you don't know that you're thinking them. And what I realized on that day was that I had that experience that broke that conversation in my brain and it opened up a potential new pathway for me to think differently about the future. And that was like the first peak of where I began to take a slow series of steps to get myself on track, began to eat healthy. I lost a ton of weight. I did bulletproof, I gained a ton of mental clarity. I began to be able to think differently about my life. I began to get energy, begin to do different things like meditation and journaling and a ton of things that you guys talk about here on Mind Valley. And I read Vision's book and I was like, wait, what? You can, you can crack the matrix. And then that basically led me to really exposing myself in a series of steps and kind of looking at what social anxiety was. And, you know, first I realized, you know, there was a non-visual component, right? I realized that previously when I went to school, and didn't really have any money growing up, was pretty poor. I remember wearing the same exact clothes to school every single day. And I remember I had a layer of anxiety built up around what I looked like because I remember kids would make fun of me. And so I was like, wait, I need to condition myself to get out of this. I bought like a pink hat, tight pink shorts, like this really floral, really interesting looking, like very flamboyant looking shirt. And I remember I would just walk around like places where I would just condition myself to get myself to not care what other people think about me. It was doing things like that. It was also, I like whipped out a piece of paper and a pencil and I was like, all right, Mark, you're going to go outside today and you're going to talk to 10 random strangers. And when I tried to do that, I went outside, I tried to talk to 10 random strangers, failed horribly. My nervous system, my brain literally could not talk. Like I'd be like, 
all right, next one. Let me try with the next guy. Try it again. Next, just didn't work. And so I was like, all right, I really need to rethink my approach. All right, let me ask somebody a very narrow question that's just like maybe a yes or a no or something that I can just work my way up to. Let me ask strangers what the time is. And so I would walk outside, ask 10 people what the time is. They would tell me the time, no problem. And be like, okay, thank you. Thank you so much. And then the next question would be like, all right, what's the time? And also how do you get directions to like this cafe that I know is like right here that I could see out of the corner of my eye and they would tell me. And then eventually I would try to compliment people. And then eventually I would try to have just one-on-one conversations. And then I would try to go to events by myself. I would just continuously try to expose myself to this fear alongside kind of looking at it from a sort of holistic foundational level of how do I heal my brain? How do I heal my nervous system that's undergone this trauma for the last 10 years of my life? And you don't just do that through exposing yourself. There's a lot of things like looking at your brain's neurotransmitters. There's a lot of things like meditation that Vision and Mind Valley talk about all the time. This kind of like approach that I've taken in my book. I mean, there's so many more things I could talk about, but those are the ways that I think about it. Yeah. (laughs) I love it, Mark. And you shared us so much about your journey here that I think a lot of people can relate where there seem to be a lot of these issues. And this shyness here was something that was really stopping you. I really love this quote that you actually said, where there's two kinds of people, some that feel discomfort, but focus on the end in mind and how to get there from where they are now. And then you say there's people that feel discomfort and focus on how hard it is now. And they don't get that if they don't change their approach to life, they will continue to always be hard. Now, what I love about this is number one, I can clearly see how you had a vision of yourself in 10 years. And that seems to be something that was quite important because by having that vision, then you were like, okay, to get there, you had to kill that old self, which is a big step in kind of the hero's journey, you could say as well, is there was that call to action, right? The rise to the challenge. And then the second thing is the fact that there's some people who might not see that. So I had two questions related to this quote is number one, it sounds like everybody feels discomfort. And is that something to be expected when it comes to shyness? Like, I know I personally have a lot of times that I feel shy. Is that a myth that only some people feel shyness? Or is it just a question that people are choosing to go forward without it? Or is it some people that are immune to it? So I'd love to learn more about that. And then I'll have a second question after. Yeah, for sure, man. So if you look at the official national government reports, they say that up to 40 to 60% of adults being consistently shy in repeated basis. And I think that being introverted, being at times a little bit shy, I think that is totally, totally natural. I think that's totally fine. I think that's healthy. I think it really depends. You could take someone who is extremely confident and then put them in a different environment and have them be super shy. Like I have a friend of mine who is totally jacked. I go with him to the gym. He's very, very, very confident guy. Literally looks like some kind of Superman kind of character. But then him and I, we did a speaking engagement at the school. We walked into like this classroom with like fourth graders and he was extremely shy. (laughs) He had no idea. And I was super comfortable because I love talking to kids. So I think it is totally, totally natural. But to me, it becomes a problem where it is placing boundaries on your life. And so I talk about this and it's like, people who have social anxiety, they wanna talk to people. Not everyone, but they wanna talk to people. They want to, whether they're at a meeting at their job or at like their group of advisors or whether they're an entrepreneur and they have a staff, 
a lot of the times they want to say things, but their brain just talks it out of them in a not healthy way, right? Like it's very healthy to have a sort of thought and then your brain comes up with better information to then give you a better thing to say. But a lot of people with social anxiety, it's almost as if like they're constantly fighting these two sides between them. And they're always trying to constantly craft their public image. That's like the most important thing to them. And so, you know, when it comes to the first question that you asked, how I got to that emotional spot and how I felt that discomfort and pain, a lot of people ask me this, and I'm always trying to figure out the answer to this, because I think if we can figure it out, then I think more people can have sort of transformations and have these moments. Honestly, I think a big part of it has to do with your relationship with pain, because I think it's all about the truth. Truth is the chiropractor of the mind. It creates the structure of how your brain works. You could be eating the healthiest food. You could be meditating all day. I mean, meditation will help you get to the truth, but you could kind of be doing all like these self-care habits. But if you're not in line with the truth of who you are, of your existence, in my opinion, nothing really matters. And the reason why we don't get there is because of the relationship that we have with pain. Because if we've been detached from that for so long, it's so, so, so painful to realize, wow, when I kind of woke up when I was 18, 19, I was like, wow, I've like not lost out, but I've like missed a decade of my life of being not myself. It almost feels like I lived a different person's life. And I think a big part of establishing that relationship with pain is honestly our vices, what we do when we feel like we're in pain. I think that is the main thing, right? Like before, when I kind of told you, I was using food as a way to cover up pain. I was using Netflix, video games, pornography, alcohol, drugs, hanging out with other people that I just know I shouldn't be hanging around with, just wasting my time, procrastination, doing all these things that are actually stress responses to cope with that pain. I think that's the biggest thing, trying to find the truth of who you are. And the way that you do that is by really feeling a real sense of that almost primal pain that you've always had your entire life. And then also understanding neurochemistry and psychological trauma and the way that that can shape us in our lives. And I think if you go on that and you go on the path of trying to heal yourself holistically with good coping mechanisms to manage your pain and to manage your stress, you're more likely to experience these moments that can completely change your life. And here's the thing, man. I just said like one moment right there of where I was suicidal and I kind of realized something. I have these moments all the time. They may not be that dramatic of like wanting to kill myself and then not, but I have like these moments of transformation every few months, like at least once a year where like I'll realize like, wow, that's not the way to do things. <laughs> I got to change my approach. Truth, pain, and then the way that you kind of work with your energy to heal and to manage that pain, I think you'll get a lot closer to the truth of who you are, which will just totally reestablish the way that you think about yourself and your brain. That's brilliant. And Mark, I can totally relate. Like when I started trying to step into this truth, which is always kind of a moving target that's growing with you. There's this quote I struggle to use. I think I will, but then we'll talk more about it. But like the whole ignorance is bliss is like there's some that can be coasting and it feels comfortable to coast, but it's not that bliss because else you would have stayed there. There was an underlying pain because it wasn't the truth. But then once you go into the journey, 
you get exactly what you were asking for, which is a journey. And a journey doesn't coast. It goes up, down, all around, but it brings you to a place you never thought you could be before. And just looking at what's happened with you, like, you know, I read your bio at the beginning, there's no trace of any kind of shyness. Every time I've had interactions with you, I can hear you coming from a place of truth, of integrity, which is something I really much admire from you. And I was also going to ask the second question that I kind of saved because you just brilliantly asked the first part. The second part was that when you define this two people, you've obviously been the first type of person, someone that's mapped his vision of 10 years from now. And then you took action steps. You got curious. You tested things that were more healthy. That's great. But what if I find myself as being a type number two? Am I screwed? So I think the best part about my story, man, is that you know, I'm relatable and all the things that I talk about are all things that I still experience and still deal with. And the reason why I am number one today is because I have been number two my entire life. One of the things that I had to learn, kind of like what you said of like, you have to have that vision, you know, like Mind Valley's founder, Vision, has this quote and it says, if you do not have a vision, you seek division. The thing is, is if you don't have a compelling future to pull yourself that you're really motivated to, you are just going to go backwards. Even if you're trying to stay in the same spot, that's just not the way that life works because that's not the way that the universe works. You know, the universe is always energy in motion. Nothing is ever still at any time. And so if you try to stay still because of the natural human tendency to, oh my God, I got all these successes. Now I got to try to preserve them. I got to hoard them. I got to sort of be comfortable now. You are going to go down as a result of it. And I mean, Personally, for me, I don't think of myself as someone who has like a high tolerance to pain. I really don't. I don't view myself as someone who's even like that outgoing. I'm just somebody who's learned cause and effect. So for example, like I know that if I don't deal with social anxiety, I know that a lot of the leading reports and clinical studies show that a lot of people who experience social anxiety disorder don't seek help until 10 years after, and then it's gotten to a point where they may not necessarily be able to have such a sort of fast recovery, so to speak, like I did. And so for me, I'm always like trying to learn about the science. I'm always trying to learn more about like, how is this actually gonna be purposeful in my life? Because if this is actually something that's verifiable, there's a cause and there's an effect, why wouldn't I just put myself through five minutes of pain? to achieve maybe some future goal of not experiencing that. I felt my entire life, I was always trying to sedate myself with comfort, buying like a ton of hamburgers and milkshakes, trying to deal with the pain that way, spending hours and hours playing video games, just trying to sedate myself with so much. And so I felt like I did that for a decade. I did that for a long time that I'm like, this is clearly not the approach. I think that everybody is exactly where they're supposed to be on their growth journey. And so if someone is like, hey, it's still like super fun and I'd rather numb my brain to get pleasure through a ton of sort of like shallow methods, whether that's through, you know, things that aren't really gonna truly grow me, like excessive drug use, video games, that kind of stuff, abusing it. Sometimes you have to do that for like 10 years to figure out and be like, wow, I have learned the consequences. I have learned the result 
of being like, wow, that's not a great life. I'm sure a ton of people that you interview on Mind Valley, I'm sure a ton of the leaders that you guys bring in, they have had some season or some area of their life where they were not that kind of person, where they dealt with the opposite, right? And I feel like you have to experience that to truly learn who you are. You have to lose yourself before you can almost go on the journey to create yourself because you have to learn what you don't want rather than what you do want. Aside from like the things that we, like we talked about, like improving your relationship with pain, trying to get to the truth of who you are, because that's motivation, man. Because like a lot of people who find themselves in camp number two, they're like, oh, well, I'm just not motivated to stop these pleasure inducing, very shallow habits and just do number one, the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing. And the reason why you don't have motivation, or at least one of them, is because I know for me is I lied so much throughout my life to other people and I lied to myself. And what I mean is like, let's say I would be in a classroom right when I was a kid as a student and the teacher would be like, hey, do you guys know when World War One started? And the dialogue in my brain would be like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I saw this documentary last night. World War One started in, in 1914 or whatever. And then another piece of my brain would be like, no, it wasn't 1914. You actually, you weren't even paying attention during that documentary. You don't even know what you're talking about. Don't raise your hand because you're going to get embarrassed because remember that time when you were in sixth grade and you tried to do that and then everyone laughed in the classroom and the teacher told you you were stupid. And so essentially, I know the real answer, but I'm not going to say it. And I just try to sort of shove that to the back of my mind and just try to go on the path of least resistance. I just lied to myself. Essentially what happens is I'm creating a relationship between these two parts of my brain that don't even trust each other, that don't even rely on each other. Another example of lying, you know, let's say, and this is like a white lie too, you're a little kid and you have a rule in your house that's like you can't eat cookies before dinner. And so you're a kid, you're in the kitchen, you climb to the top of the refrigerator, you go to the cookie jar, you grab a cookie, you eat a cookie, you hear your mom coming downstairs and you know, she sees like the cookie crumbs on your face and she knows you ate a cookie and she asks you, she's like, Hey Jason, did you eat a cookie? And you're like, no, I didn't, I didn't eat a cookie because like, you know, you don't want to upset your mom. You love your mom. And she's like, okay. And essentially what I'm hinting to is every time that you lie to either yourself or to other people, you are taking the real you, the real authentic you, and you are putting it second place. You are putting it in the back and you are creating this fake version of yourself and you are putting that forward towards reality, towards what other people perceive you as. And so I kind of realized that I lied to myself so much that I don't even know who I was. You know, Jordan Peterson has this quote and it's like, if you lie a ton, life will become like warped driftwood. The very structures of reality just won't even make sense. And so if you lie to yourself a ton, you become disassociated from your life. You don't become motivated. You don't feel the highs or the lows of your emotions because you've sort of extracted yourself from your life and you're just living sort of this very fake, shallow character, this ego just running around. When people look at number two and they're like, why would I actually change my life? Why would I try to do these things? Well, it's like, are you even living your own life in the first place? Are you actually even the person who you want to be? And so 
That's what I would say to somebody. And, and I think sort of the other part of lack of motivation of why someone would do that would be at like a biochemical level. You know, like if you eat terrible foods, if you sleep for like two hours, if you don't exercise, your body is not fit biochemically to be able to have that energy to act on that motivation that you seek out. And so that's what I would say, man. Mark, that was really powerful. I mean, you really wanted to drive that point about the truth. And I think you've made it really clear on how it can actually seep in in very subtle ways, which were nice, cute examples. But I could see how in later stages in life, this can become a habit. This can become something that completely distorts everything. And at the foundation, if you're not living in integrity, of course, there's going to be a shyness because there's going to be some sort of imposter syndrome always staying around. And now you're not even really living life. You're just drifting, right? And so I'm even thinking about the times in the workplace when somebody's like, yeah, I'm shy. I don't want to confront my boss. I don't want to disappoint. It gets into a whole new level of withholding truth that allows you to not truly express yourself, which means you're coming off as shy. You feel shy, yet you have frustrations and resentments in the workplace. And it just creates a whole dynamic that's just not healthy. And if you're not making any change, it's really going to hold you back. Mark, this was a really powerful conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing everything you shared today. What an amazing story and what an amazing journey. And for everybody listening, we really went back around the fact that shyness really is stepping away from the truth here. And you really want to step back into that integrity, stepping into that truth. And we talked about the type of person you can choose to be. And you're always going to be feeling a pain if you're not living that truth. And the way to get to that truth is to really see a vision of yourself, of your potential, which could be absolutely anything you want. You can choose. And when you decide to step into that, yes, some pain can happen. Yes, you'll need to delay some instant gratification if you're someone that would typically go towards areas of numbness, if that was what was your solution to dealing with the everyday frustrations of not being at the truth that you could be. This shyness ends up being a mask and you can remove that mask. You can get motivated, take the right actions. By God, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already taking some great step. And I would highly encourage another podcast, which is Humans 2.0, Mark's podcast, which also interviews amazing guests. But you start listening to these ideas that other people have went through similar journeys. Mark's story here is amazing because some of you might be relating to a similar path and understanding the transformation that you can have by looking at his can be very inspiring. It might be the fuel that you were looking to get started on a journey of becoming your true self. I've had my own struggles. I've had my ups and downs. I was a person who couldn't get in front of a room. I would turn all pinkish since I'm already pasty white, which luckily on a podcast, you can't see. And, <laughs> and I had to overcome that pain because I had an idea of a vision of who I could be by speaking on stages, now speaking on podcasts and really doing more and more incredible things. And it is a choice. You get on a journey that won't be numb and comfortable, but it becomes a journey of ups and downs. And it is really a true hero's journey. And if you're going to be a superhuman at work, it is the hero's journeys that I encourage you to choose. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. Dude, this is so awesome. This is like top three best podcasts I've ever been on. Yes, I'll take that. So you heard that, everybody. Share with your friends, subscribe, give us a review. You heard it from Mark. I'll make sure that it gets heard and shared to as many people as possible as well. Thanks, Mark, so much for the compliments. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work a Mind Valley podcast.